I've been reflecting, been thinking recently about how how God is how God is relational in the way that He does things. Uh, so often He does them does them through relationship. He didn't just um, He didn't just sort of communicate to humanity what He was like. Uh, I don't know by a voicemail or something like that. But 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 He sent Jesus in, in person, didn't He, to show to show us what God was like and to help us to reconnect with God. And then Jesus then lived with 12 people and, and, um, and showed them how to do life. And we're, we're here today because others have shown us what it's like to know and to follow Jesus. And, uh, and, and, and Paul, in one of his letters, writes about, um, he writes to the Corinthians, I think it is, um, imitate me as I imitate Christ, as I imitate Jesus. And this whole thing of, it's easier to get the hang of how you live life if you can see it lived in someone else. <clears throat> and um, for me... Rob, who's here with us today. Um, so Rob Scott Cook is going to be speaking. He's the founder of the Woodlands Group of Churches in Bristol, and uh, so responsible for sort of lots of lots of the church life in the, in the city. And you know, where Paul says, "If you imitate me, I, I can show you how to imitate Jesus." I find that I can do that. I can I try and imitate Rob as he imitates Jesus in the way that I see him pray, in the way that oh, I hear about him pray, and the way that I see him do life. And um, and he's he, for the last. 20 years or so, he's been a real role model to me. Um, when I first met Rob, I forget it was maybe like about 2009 or something, and uh, his opening words to me were, we've never met before, but I know you in prayer. I pray for you every day. And that, and that was a, a pretty astonishing um, uh, you know, opening, opening line, but it's, you know, so, so, so my, my aim, one of my aims is to know people in prayer um, as well. So Rob's going to come and speak to us, and uh, I just want to just want to celebrate him as a real wonderful man in the city, um, and so Lord, thank you that Rob can be with us, and we pray for an impartation today uh, that, that we can all imitate, uh, um, that we can all become more like Jesus, and we pray that you use Rob to help us on that journey. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for that <coughs> gracious invitation. It's a joy to be with you and to hear some of those inspiring testimonies and just to feel part of family as we worship together. And it's a real delight to see so many dear friends as well. So special joy to be with you. And uh, as Chris has hinted there, uh, I feel called to a life of prayer. And so every day I pray for hope. And in fact, uh, I mean Hope Church as well as hope. Um, But uh, I also pray for many of you here by name every day. And so it's a joy to actually see some of those faces again and to be able to share with you. So Pam sends her greetings as well, my dear wife, and uh, greetings from all the Woodlands Church family as well. So last year we celebrated um, 52 years of full-time ministry in the city. And you must have thought we started when we were in Prams, but in fact... (laughs) uh, And it's been a, a, a story of God's faithfulness. God's been so gracious and so faithful to us over those years. And to see God's provision in remarkable ways. We've always chosen from the very beginning to, to live over the gospel. So we've never ever received a stipend. That we have a huge um, Woodlands team of remunerated people. But for ourselves, we've always felt we, we didn't want to receive any kind of stipend. So we've always trusted God and found God so faithful over those years in so many remarkable ways that we're grateful for. And... Um, Particularly, as I say, I want to share with you today something of the, the significance of, of prayer, but in a context of where I feel a kind of prophetic word that God has stood in my heart at this time, and I want to share that with you. 
One of the great things about being here at Hope is that um, that vision of Hope being a, a prayer centre, and particularly with the title of Hope Church, when the kind of prophetic word God has been speaking over the city is being a city of hope, so it's got a particular relevance for, to feel there's a context of prayer where it's stirring, encouraging hope. And so that prophetic word I want to share today is just three simple words, but I'm going to try and unpackage it a little together. And if you're online, I hope also it'll be a real inspiration to you as well. And it's these three words, pursuing his presence, pursuing his presence. What does it mean in our lives to pursue the presence of God? You might say, well, you, you, you can't pursue God's presence. It's a passive thing. You come to church and you feel God's presence. no. There is something actively we can do. Scripture says his amazing words, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So we can actually take a course of action that engages with God, that draws that sense of his presence in our lives. And we're going to think of three simple yet profound ways in which that happens. So first we're going to think that pursuing his presence is about pursuing the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's the Holy Spirit who makes real the presence of Jesus. The second is... To pursue his presence is to pursue fullness of joy in our lives. In his presence is fullness of joy. Those amazing words of Psalm 16. And then the third one is that to pursue his presence is to pursue his purposes for our life. And that's the reading we're going to start with this morning. And it's taken from Exodus and these amazing words where Moses has this great challenge. God has called him to lead this rather... Uh, rebellious people across a desert, such desolate situations, and how is he going to do it? And here in Ezekiel, in, in Exodus chapter 33, one day Moses said to the Lord, you have um, been telling me, take these people up to, up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You've told me I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor and remember that this nation is your own people. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. The NIV says, Moses says, unless your presence goes with me, don't let me go up from here. And then God says, my presence will go with you. Father, we pray now that you come by your spirit. Spirit of truth, guide us into truth, that truth that sets us free. But we don't just want to talk about your presence. We want to sense that reality of your presence among us. And Lord, as we leave this place today to have a new sense of your presence going with us, come now. Come, Holy Spirit. Make yourself real to us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So to pursue God's presence is to pursue the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In John 16 and verse 15, Jesus says his amazing words. The Spirit will take of what is mine and make me known to you. He will make me real to you. 
In our lives, it's the Holy Spirit who is constantly making the presence of Jesus real to us. Here's a bunch of frightened disciples in an upper room, terrified of the future, uncertain about it all, feeling miles away from God because Jesus is gone. And then suddenly, there's a mighty rushing wind, often that symbol of God's Spirit in Scripture. And suddenly, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Suddenly, an overwhelming awareness of the power and presence of the Spirit and the overflow of that fullness is a boldness in witness and worship that they've never known before. It's the Holy Spirit who makes real that presence of God to us and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I often say about fullness, fullness is not just meant for self-satisfaction. You know, like you might eat a Sunday dinner and someone says, you want some more veg? You say, no, I'm full. In fact, fullness is always an appetite for more. You think, really? Yeah. The intention is that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can overflow. You can only overflow if you're full. You could be 99% full, but you won't overflow. You only overflow when you're full. And so God's intention is for the fullness of the Holy Spirit to mean there's an overflow from our lives. It's that overflow in our witness, in our worship, in our fellowship together that makes the difference. So what does it mean, therefore, to be overflowing in the fullness of the Spirit, carrying the presence of God with us? Whatever we are, whatever we're doing, that sense of his presence with us. A little piece of literature earlier with Brother Lawrence, that the practice of his presence, to sense God's presence with us wherever we are. Even when we're on holiday, the children used to smile sometimes. My children have a kind of prayer folder I use, and, and on holiday, they say, Dad, you're on holiday. You know, you, you, you I say, but, but prayer is not my work, it's my way of life. It's Whatever we're doing, whether on holiday, whether it's bank holiday, how do we carry the presence of God with us? It was Christmas Day, just gone. And uh, this year we went up to Birmingham to be with our, our son and uh, his family and our grandchildren. In fact, our, our daughter also came with us. And it was great to be with them. And on, on, so Sunday morning was different for me because I was at church not having anything to do. I was, no responsibilities, as it were. And uh, I, I was sat towards the back and we were quite a, filled a whole row of the family. And so I was sat behind them. And as I'm sat there on this Christmas morning, just a moment. Suddenly that sense of the Holy Spirit, that wow factor where you feel, oh. Now, in fact, our granddaughter, Hannah, is doing a PhD, and she's met during her studies a lovely Scandinavian fellow that called Martin. And So he hadn't gone back because it was Christmas, so he's staying with us. He was here with us. He was sat right in front of me. But he's not a Christian. It's all completely new to him. And as I sat there, I can just say, I just felt an overwhelming stirring of God's Spirit to pray for him. And, and as I did, I really felt that kind of stirring of God's spirit. And, and so we went, when we went back for Christmas lunch, and lunch had been prepared, and we just sat waiting, as it were, and talking together, I, I said to Martin, Martin, I said, it was great to have you with us at church this morning. I said, you know, is it all new? He said, it's completely new to me, Robert. I, he said, I, I, I wouldn't have gone to church only ever since I've known Hannah, he said. And even being here with the family, they, they even say a prayer sometimes, we're about to eat, he said. But and I said, do you cope with all that? Are you embarrassed? You know, no, no, he said, actually, I, I feel it's a sense of community feeling part of the family. That's wonderful, I said. I said, have you, have you ever prayed yourself? No, I never prayed. Have you ever read the Bible? No, I've never read the Bible. I said, is that something you'd be interested in exploring? He said, to be honest, I would actually. He said, it's raised lots of questions to me. I said, oh, well, we must talk further after lunch. And by now we've been called for Christmas lunch. And so in we go for Christmas lunch and we were going to chat again further. But we had so many games and party and charades until late at night that we didn't have a chance to chat. And in the morning we were traveling back. And uh, so we'd had breakfast together. As we were going out the door and saying cheerio, I said to him, oh, I said, 
Mark, I'm not forgetting that little promise that we would chat further about that. I said, would you still like, I'd love that, he said. I said, give me your mobile. And he, they were going back to the north of England as well. And uh, so he did. I said, I'd WhatsApped him, a video WhatsApp. And I did it just two days later. I, I video WhatsApped him and, and, and we had a great chance just to talk about God and the existence of God and faith and what it means to believe. And I said, Martin, is that something you genuinely would like to know more about? He said, yeah. He said, I, I wouldn't know where to begin, Robert. I said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do is I'll do a little WhatsApp video with you and why don't we just take one of the biographies of Jesus? There's four of them, in fact, in the Bible. We just take the one that John has written and why don't you just read the first three chapters? Have you got a Bible? He said, no, I haven't. I bet I can get one from Hannah because uh, Hannah, in fact, um, had her Bible. And um, so Hannah has a, a really good Christian background, but she was struggling herself in her faith too. So anyway, I said, read the first three chapters. And when you've got through them, WhatsApp me just to tell me you've done them and we'll try and then have a WhatsApp call. But write down any questions as you're going through it. And so he did. In fact, Hannah gave me a call. I said, Pa, that's calling me Grandpa, Grandma, Granddad, rather. She said, Pa, she said, could I do it as well? I said, yeah. Next Saturday morning, 11 o'clock, we had our WhatsApp call. He'd already sent me a little list of their questions. It's something wonderful, you know. It's somebody for the first time in their life is opened the Bible, all completely new. John's Gospel, just the first few words. First question was, what's the word? Why do you call the word, you know, in the word? In the beginning, the word. And, and so we went, what's the lamb? What does it mean to be born again? And this is just the first three chapters. And so we went through them. And they were really interesting. At each question when we answered it, I said, did you understand that? And then maybe it's another little supplementary question. But you really felt it was like a sponge soaking up. One of the things I've found since pandemic, which has produced some really challenging situations in mental health and challenging in life, and, but also it's produced a great hunger. There are many people out there who are really hungry. And Martin's one of them. We set for the next week that they would do the next, because they said we did a little bit of each day and, uh, and wrote some questions. I said, well, do seven chapters this next week. Do one a week, which is what they did do. And next Saturday, we had again lots of kind of questions. This time, they said, what we'll do, we'll not just do the question, but we'll give you a little think of what we think might be the answer. I said, do that because it helps you to understand a little bit where they're thinking. And so they did. It was a an A4 page and a half by the time they put it through. And uh, and so at 11 o'clock, we had our next call. And, and we were going through now for an hour and a half, just talking, just reflecting on those questions. And they were full of it. The next week, it was the next seven chapters. But that third week as we were going through, by now they really had grasped so much of that truth of the gospel of Jesus. And I said, you know, we're nearly there now. We'd only have another four chapters to do. I said, but you know, John, when he gets to the end of his book, he says, like any author, you know, writes on the back cover why he's written it. This is why he wrote it. You'll find it in chapter 20 that John says, these things are I written that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. Martin, remember, the first time ever in his life reading it. Martin, has it helped you to understand more of who Jesus is? He said, Pa, you can't imagine it is. I didn't know anything, just a, a figure of history, he said, but I really, it's really helped me. And I said, Martin, has it helped you in that journey of what it is by believing to know life in his name? He said, I, I'm still learning, he said, Pa, but I'm really interested. I said, but Martin, you know, it's possible not just to study it, but to experience it, to actually experience what it is, to find life in his name. He said, but I, I wouldn't know where to begin. I said, well, you know, it's very profound, that whole experience, being a Christian, but 
there are some simple steps because it's meant to be for anyone, even somebody who's completely illiterate to be able to understand. I say it's a bit like an ABC. You, you just need to admit your need to believe that Jesus as the Son of God loved you, gave himself for you, and to commit your life to him to receive you. He said, but how do you do that? I said, well, for many people, it's a simple way of expressing that in prayer. He said, but I never prayed, but I didn't know how to pray. I said, what about if I were to help you in that? He said, would you? I said, yeah. And there together sat on that sofa. This is my granddaughter and potentially a husband-to-be. And to hear them pray out aloud, that simple step of faith. I, I tell you, all heaven rejoices. We've now, that's a few weeks ago, we've now started on Acts of the Apostles. And yesterday it was Hannah's birthday and we went up to Birmingham and we're on the fullness of the Holy Spirit because Pentecost is all about it. And, and helping them to understand that to pursue the presence of God is to pursue that fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But secondly, to pursue his presence is to pursue a fullness of joy. In his presence, this is Psalm 16, in his presence is fullness of joy. All my springs of joy are in you. It's not just that joy is stimulated by external circumstances. You just passed an exam or just got a, a, a promotion or you just something's happened and you, you're really excited. Well, anybody else would be who doesn't even know God. They're still excited by those. What is it to find a source of joy that comes from within? But all my springs of joy are in you. A kind of joy that's not just measured by external circumstances, but a joy that's there always. You know, there's these amazing words in Thessalonians chapter 5. It says these three things. It says, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. And it says this. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I have many times when I pray with people who come and, Rob, I'm, I'm desperately needing to know God's will for my life, whether I should buy this house or take this job or this relationship I'm going through with or some struggle in my life, etc. Rob, could you help pray for God's will for my life? I'm so confused. I say, Davy, I know God's will for your life. You know God's will for my life. Tell me, Rob. This is God's will for your life. To be joyful always. To pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now the key is, when you experience that, then whatever other challenge you're facing, whether it's a new house or a new job, that flows from it. Because if you've got those three ingredients right, you're going to know the reality of his presence. It's something about the presence of God that brings an inner joy that nothing else can bring. Now you may say, but Rob, you don't know what I'm going through. You may be going through physical suffering or uncertainty about some health issues in your life or mental health or physical health or financial issues or relationship broke down, breakdown or other real challenges. You say, Rob, you, you can't be joyful in those. You mean be joyful as often as you can. No, be joyful always. See, this joy is not measured by how loud you laugh. It's an inner joy. In fact, you may be going through where it seems like all hell is let loose around you. And yet there's a source of joy in the midst of it. Peter, at the end of his life, is writing in his first letter these amazing words. In, this is 1 Peter chapter 1. Though now for a season we're going through such trial and testing, such suffering, such heartache, and yet 
we rejoice with a joy that is unspeakable. It's not measured by how loud you joke or how loud you laugh. It's a joy that's unspeakable, but it's full of glory. There's something about this joy, he says, it's a joy in the one who having not seen we love, and yet we rejoice with a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. Where does that joy come from? It's the reality of his presence. It's his presence that we carry with us, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whether we're still on a bus stop or whether we're... I mean, the other day, I was on a bus stop here in, in, in White Ladies Road, and one of the things about prayer, let me just put this a little bit of a side, but um, about prayer is we, we, we have a week of prayer and fasting at the beginning of each year to just be able to sense God's purpose for that year. And a few years back, I remember somebody saying, Rob, I, I really struggle with prayer. I find it hard, he said, to, to, to pray. He said, but any kind of helpful little guidelines, any touches? And I can just remember a kind of inspired thought at the time. And I said, you know, why don't you just do this? And since then, for hundreds of people, this simple little guide has changed their prayer life. I was only with somebody the other day, been a Christian for many years, maybe 30 or 40 years. And they pulled out of their Bible, this little A4 sheet, and said, Rob, this has totally changed my prayer life. And it is so simple. Let me illustrate. If I can find a little clear sheet of A4, I'll take my Why Jesus. I tell you, Matt, that was that little ABC I said earlier. That's here in Why Jesus, just the introduction to Alpha, but let me take a plain sheet if I've got one here. Here we are. And uh, take a little plain sheet of A4. Nothing magical, it's just an ordinary sheet of play for A4, okay? Just note this. Even, even simply experiment today with it. What you do, fold it into, into four. On this quarter, you're just going to write one name of a person or even of a situation. And this was linked with the week of prayer and fasting, we were saying. And you're going to pray every day, every day for that person. Now, one of the things we encourage during that week of prayer and fasting is to cultivate some habits that will be for the rest of the year, for the rest of your life. On the second quarter, just put the days of the week. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And put against every one of them. Just one name, one situation. You're going to pray for that one on a Saturday, that one on a Sunday, that one on a Monday. And on the other half, put the days of the month. For one, two, three, four, five. You can do down to 31, but on some months you may have three on your last one to do. But just the days of the month. Now, I can remember when I first shared it with somebody who just asked me, Rob, about this. Rob, okay, that's about 40 people. I mean, I'd be all day. No, 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 no. It's not 40 people you can pray for every day. It's only three people you can pray for every day. You can do that while you're cleaning your teeth. You can do it with your family. You can do it even while you're saying grace every day. Just look for that day. It's just, just, just how you build in to your rhythm of life. One of the first ways in which it's so significant, I have found, if you were to do this today, First exercise would be to think, who are those 39 people they would be, if you do that, going to be? I mean, don't just think of a name and put it down. Who is it that God would want you to pray for every day of your life? Now, that would be a fairly significant. Who is it going to pray for each week? Who is it going to pray for each week? Now, on my little one, I, I, I changed them around over a bit of time because somebody I've been praying for every day has now had their baby, even though it looked impossible, but now, and I, I'm now praying for every week or I'm moving around. But how do you use it? So 
kids keep in your pocket. My, my, my one over the years has got changed, so I most likely may have my one in my back pocket. Here we are. So my little one, this is my, my little daily one. I'm afraid my one name has become a little bit of a, it'll look like the Dead Sea Scrolls to you because it gets tatted. But there we are. And it, my little one, my first quarter has now become two sides of A4. But, you know, it, it's people. So every day I'll use it. So the other day I was on White Lady's Road. I said, wherever you are, catching the bus, okay? It was five o'clock. I'd been beating someone up at Woody's. And um, it was a, a wet, really miserable winter's day. And I'm waiting for the number one bus. When the bus comes in, I get on it. It's absolutely full. People standing in the aisle, so I go upstairs. By the time I get upstairs, that's also full, but the start, bus has started moving now, so I can't you know, do anything. And, and it's all steamed up. And anyway, next stop, just along Whiteley's Road, the bus stops, and the, people, the two people on the very front row uh, of the bus upstairs get out. So I quickly get into that front seat, and I, I clear the steam off the side of it, as it were, and... I, I never waste any time. Uh, for me, it, waiting a bus stop, going so I get up my little prayer sheet out, and I'm on my little A4. So I'm, I'm praying away there. Now, also, there's an older chap he must have gone on to, and so he comes and he sits beside me. So here I am in my little prayer sheet, and he sits beside. He cleans the whole of the front window off with his arm because it was really steamy. Oh, he says to me, I, I don't like to be able to steam. I can't see out. He says I get a bit claustrophobic, and he's chatting to me, and I'm thinking, oh, this is a bit of an interruption. And I think, oh. That prompting of God's spirit, that's not an interruption, it's an opportunity. So I stop my little sheet and I say to him, I said, oh, you feel claustrophobic? He said, yeah, I do. He said, I, I feel, I, I can't sit the back of the bus, so I just got to sit the front. I said, oh, what is that? He said, well, really, I've had a, a, a challenging sort of life. He said, I, I was an alcoholic for many years, he said, in, in rehab. And in fact, I lived on the street for six months, he said, I was in prison for another six months, he said. But, but I've been going straight recently, he said, and uh, um, I, 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 I've managed to... To get a place, and I got a little job. He said, and I said, "What's the job?" And so we talked. He says, oh, I, "I'm furniture restoring. I do take old antiques, like a broken chair, a broken leg, and I mend it or upholstery." I said, "Oh, that's great." I said, "That must be really satisfying to be able to see something restored that's been really messed up." He said, "It really is." I said, "You know, I'm into restoration as well." He said, "Really?" He said, "What are you restoring?" I said, "Well, actually, it's it's so interesting, but I'm into restoring broken lives, people who've messed up, just like in your life where you've known where it is." Really? He says, how would you do that? He says, I said, well, actually, I'm involved in the church. He said, oh, which church is that? Now, we're a bit further up White Ladies Road. I said, oh, well, just back there, I said, is a church called Woodlands Church. I said, even that we restored. It it became a warehouse, and we restored it back as a church. He said, he said, I went there once. He said, when I was an alcoholic with AA, and we had a a Christmas meal, he said. He said, but I don't go to church now. He said, I'm living right out at Hembury, and anyway, in the mornings, I can't can't get up. And so we talked together. I had an amazing opportunity to share the gospel with him. And what's more, that next day on the Sunday, I was speaking at a little church in Henbury. So, in fact, I shared with them about it. And, in fact, shared with the fellowship, and they were able to make contact with them and be able to follow it. But it's just everyday life. How are we carrying God's presence with us? You see, there's something about prayer. Often we feel prayer can be a challenge. We feel, even talking about prayer, sometimes we make feel, people feel a bit guilty or to pray more. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 about prayer. He says, in all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. Joy. Not kind of grit and perseverance and no joy. So there is a joy in prayer that comes with the presence of God. I must hasten just to this, the third area of the presence of God. To pursue his presence is to pursue his purposes in our life. To know his guidance. 
the key to guidance in our life is the presence of God. That's what these words in Exodus say. Lord, you've called me to take these people. How can I guide them? Who are you going to send with me? And God says, my presence will go with you. Even mark that presence with a, a cloud of fire and a, a pillar of fire and a cloud, as it were, that went with them. The presence of God with them. We're always almost visible and carrying God's presence with us all the time. It's the key to guidance. There's that still small voice that says, this is the way, walk in it. How do we hear that voice? How do we sense whatever we're doing, wherever we are, the presence of God quickening us? You know, many years ago, as I said, we celebrated 52 years of full-time ministry, but it was before that. Um, I, I had an amazing opportunity. It was a special uh, thing I was, uh, I was given as a, an opportunity to go to the Middle East for three months to, to research the industrial and technological development of, of the country, of the nation of Israel. Now, it was a fascinating thing that happened. The whole desalination plant turned the desert into fertile ground, the whole early days of IT technology that they were quite good leaders in. And so I spent a month at the Hebrew University and, and traveled all around Israel looking at their, uh, their various fascinating development projects. And, um, but one of the things I'd always wanted to do was to visit Bethlehem. But in those days, this is going back a long time before many were born, um, for the Six-Day War. So the boundary was that Bethlehem was in old Jordan. So if you've been in Israel, you couldn't cross into Jordan. Now, I particularly wasn't able to cross because I was carrying also a dossier on the whole development of Israel's whole industrial development, etc. So as you can imagine, so I managed to be able to send that back home. And I managed to be able to negotiate after a long negotiation with the embassy to get a second passport, a clean passport. That may seem strange. I'm crossing from Israel into Jordan, but I got a clean passport. Anyway, it was a really hassly process. It was going through what was known as the Mandelbaum Gate, and I was the only person going through there. And they took so long, they checked every hair on my comb. You know, they literally went through everything. And by the time I got through there, I really felt, um, you know, absolutely exhausted. And the reason I wanted to go to Bethlehem was this. That many years ago, before I went there, I'd been in touch with a, a lovely, dear old lady, blind lady called Auntie May. And she had set up a home for blind children, disabled people in Bethlehem. A remarkable work. I had never seen her, or she'd never seen me, she was blind anyway, but I'd corresponded with her, and I'd said to her, if ever I go to the Middle East, I'd love to be able to visit you. And that was the, the last thing I'd said before I'd, I, I, I'd left. Now I'd been here for three months doing all this research, and you can't communicate from, in those days, you couldn't communicate, there wasn't such things as email, or those, you just couldn't communicate from Israel, you couldn't send a letter from Israel into Jordan, so there's no way I could communicate with her, but my hope was that I would be able to cross, and, and this was the day I managed to get across, but she didn't know it was going to happen, etc., but I told her, that if ever it would be. So I crossed through this gate, and the one thing I want to do is find a quiet place. And the only quiet place I knew of was the garden tomb. So I went to the garden tomb. And in those days, it was a little old wooden grate, creaky grate. I remember pushing this gate open and going inside, put my bags down on this stone bench and sitting there, just trying to catch my breath. And no longer I sat down there than the old green grate behind me creaked open again. And I heard a voice say to the gateman, there was a man on the gate, is Brother Robert here? I felt the hairs go on the back of my neck, and I stood up and said, well, it, it, it may be me, I, I, I'm Robert. And by now the gate had fully opened, and a, an old lady had come in and turned my way, and I could see she was blind. And I said, are you Auntie May? She said, yes, and you must be Brother Robert. I said, but Auntie May, how did you ever know I'd ever be able to cross? I'd ever be, and I'd be here and here today. Oh, she said, 
This morning, I felt the Lord's presence with me, and he said to me, go to the garden gate at noon today, and you will find Brother Robert. Talk about the hairs on the back of my neck. I felt it was like, it was like New Testament days, you know, but, but what happened was I went to live with her and stay with her for a few weeks. And boy, that was where God laid those foundations of a life of prayer. Maybe because she was blind and had lost those natural faculties that she'd cultivated. A sense of the presence. When she prayed, you'd look around to see where the Lord was. There was such a, a sense of talking with the Lord and the presence of God with her. that it stood something in me about listening to God, hearing God's voice. You know, Scripture says, today, if you'll hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Hardness of heart comes so easily in our human nature. Hurts and disappointments. People let us down. Church let us down. God lets us down. He didn't answer prayers we thought. And before long, we become hardened. You know, as a little boy, I've told this story so many times because it was indelibly marked on my memory. I come home from school, this is primary school, and I pass my granddad's house. And so I'd always pop into granddad because he used to have, it doesn't sound very appetizing, but it was dripping on toast. And uh, uh, he had this big roaring fire. This is in South Wales. You can hear the hoil coming out with moments of excitement. But this is in South Wales. And uh, he had this big black hearth and a, a roaring fire with that Welsh coal. And I would sit on a mat just in front of this brass fender where granddad would tell stories. Now, granddad was very frail. His eyesight wasn't so good and his hearing wasn't good. But boy, could he tell stories. And I was sat there on this mat when suddenly a red-hot coal fell out of the fire just in front of me. I jumped, but Grant didn't even notice it until just a few seconds later when he must have seen it. And he reached down to pick it up. It was red-hot. It was just falling out of the fire. I, I couldn't stop him. And, and as he took hold of it, I was waiting for him to just yelp. But instead of that, he took hold of it and put it back on the fire. I don't remember another... Detail, any of the story was telling. I just was overwhelmed by this sense of that. The next day was a Saturday morning and I always got granddad shopping. And he gave me the money for the shopping with a hand he picked up that coal. I can remember feeling it, particularly the tops of his finger. You see, granddad had been a carpenter all his life. The top of his fingers were like thick leather. Many of the time the slip of a hammer had bruised his fingers or the cut of a chisel. All those bruising and scars over the years that left his skin so hard. It wasn't the coal that lost its heat. Granddad had lost his sense of feeling in his fingers. It became hardened. You know, today, for us, if you want to hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Hardness of heart comes through all the pain and heartache of human disappointments where people have let us down, churches let us down, God has let us down. But what does it mean to be open to the voice of God? I felt particularly when praying for today, for some of you here, God wants you to know a fresh touch of his presence. That you'll go out different the way you came in. In fact, my prayer is, Lord, don't send us up from here. Don't send us out from here. Unless your presence goes with us. I'm going to pray that in a time of response. I'll just get the worship group up a moment and we'll just sing a song maybe about God's grace and goodness to us. And what we'll do is this, a little bit different, but by way of response, okay? 
I don't want you. You know, sometimes we say we're about to sing, could we all stand? I'm not saying, can we all stand, okay, for the start of this. But what I am saying is, if this morning you sense that you long to know a fresh awareness of his presence, perhaps there's someone even here this morning for the first time, that kind of ABC of opening your life to Jesus, or just you need to experience again the fullness of the Holy Spirit, that reality of his presence guiding you, then what I want you to do is this. I want you to stand. Don't wait till the last hymn, last verse as it were, just stand. But you're not standing and saying, let's all stand. My prayer is that we'd all respond. But I just want to sense this morning, this, and then I'm going to pray for you and give a chance further afterwards of prayer. I think I brought my little cruise of oil with me. I have. So again, a little chance afterwards as well, just to, that further prayer too. But just now, let's, as we sing this together, okay? So I'm not saying all stand, but I am saying do stand. I'm already standing, but just in that response as we worship. And as we worship, let's sense we're experiencing God's presence among us. Mm.